uh, to pop up on the screen. Excellent, there we go. Uh, it actually says you are recording, super. Okay, well, let's just go back to that main question then. So, do we think that organisations know uh, what their people uh, do? So, I mean, Mark, we had a bit of a chat uh, about this in the run-up to today's uh, session. I suppose we wanted to kind of get to grips with both that and then unpack the, the question a little bit. But just asking that simple question, let's go with the simple response first. What do we think? Do they know? Um, I think, as as I suggested to you previously, there's there's something called Betteridge's Law of Headlines, and which states that any headline um, that is expressed as a question can always be answered with the answer no. <laughs> and I think that kind of applies here, you know. And I think it's um, it, it's. But having said that, obviously, the, those, you know, a two-letter word, but there's a lot to unpack from that. You know, I think that's that's why we're here, isn't it? And I kind of, um, you know, and, and that, I mean, I, I suppose it's the stock in, um, um, it's, it's the game we all play, you know. It's, it's like trying to work out what is really going on here, you know, and it's very, very complex. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, and I, I think the other part of the answer is that they, they probably didn't know before, the um, pandemic as well. I, I, I mean, the, the, one of the things I always come back to is, and I still see headlines, and disappointingly in sort of business magazines about, you know, people, um, you know, you know, you'll see articles saying that, you know, why have your people back? Because if, if only half of people will, will come back, you know, so your office is going to be half empty. And you're thinking, well, they were half empty before the pandemic. You know, it's not, this is... And have been for 20 or 30 or the 20 or 30 years I've been aware of it. And you think, well, you know, it, it just betrays a lack of knowledge about what was going on before the pandemic as well. Or perhaps a lack of care that, you know, the off, both, offices perhaps. were half empty, you know. Yeah. And um, so uh, I, I guess the main point is that, you know, you can say no, but then you have to sort of talk about what the implications of that are and, and how no has changed in the past two years as well. And, and when we were chatting beforehand, there was a sense of, you know, if, if you don't know that you don't know, then how do we get organisations or help organisations and support them in, in getting to know that they don't know? So you can then start yeah. to fathom out what it is that you don't know. So how do, how do well, we cover off that? Well, well, I think there's a corollary as well, isn't there, which is like they know but don't act on it or don't care enough. Kate, have you just been interrupted by dogs as well? Because my mind was intruding before, yeah. So three, right, okay. I've just got the one. So if you see some ears popping up, that's what it is, you know. So um, she always gets interested when I'm on calls, you know. And, um, yeah, so so the corollary is, you know, why didn't they act on this knowledge before? Because we have known things like, for example, that people hate commuting. You know, for years, if you've asked people what's the worst part of your day, you know, it's it's the uh, and especially if you're in a place like London, it's the hour long journey into Paddington. You know, that is, you know, a miserable part of their day generally, you know, and, and home again. And so why haven't more companies acted on that knowledge before now as well? So there's a there's a sort of two parts to this question is one is not knowing and one is knowing and not doing anything about it. And I, I wonder whether that is still the case now, but in, in perhaps in a different context. Than, than than before. So how 
how do we think we can begin to uh, understand what people do? Is that putting, is that having a broader conversation with organisations out with of any particular projects going on to say, look, if you're going to get any sense of how to to to, to plan real estate and, and behaviours and culture and tech and what have you moving into the future, this whole sort of realm of workplace, you're going to have to get a much clearer understanding of how this organisation functions. How do we get that message yeah. across? Um, well, that's, a, uh, yeah, there's a tricky one. I mean, I think there's an assumption that managers know, think they know what is going on. Right. OK, so um, it's not a case that they don't know. Um, they think they know, but they're not right. Yeah. I mean, first of all. Yeah. And I, I it's I, I see it as an underlying issue in, in, you know, a great deal of conversation still. Um, and in particular, this idea that what you're primarily doing if you're adopting uh, a flexible working model is shifting one place of work for another. And I I don't think that's true because I think that managers, I mean, there's there's an unknowability about what how organisations function, isn't there? And you know, you do not know every you know interaction that goes on in the, and every thought that goes on in the organisation. So if you transpose work from one place to another, you're not necessarily going to end up with the same thing. You know, I used the analogy of the um, the old movie the fly in a in a piece i wrote about this yeah. you know if you if you if you're shifting from this place to that place um you, what what you're transposing isn't necessarily going to be what you think because there's there's some other dna that gets introduced in the process when you when you do that and um but i i still get the impression from listening to people they they think that's that's primarily what they're doing is just a shift from one place to another. But what they're actually doing is changing something more fundamental of work that people have. And so they have to be aware of that. And and I also think one of the other things that distorts the conversation is I think there's an unhealthy obsession with productivity that's crept into the conversation again. And I know it's important. Um, but it's, it's where about? you get. Sorry, oh, sorry. go on. No, no, I was just going to ask the question around that. What, what do, you, what do you mean by productivity? Well, I, I, my, my, my understanding is, you know, and I, you know, I, I might have to bear down other people about, you know, the, the when you're looking at things like productivity, you've got the day-to-day -day stuff, you know, the ability to, you know, empty your email inbox and and so on and complete, you know, whatever to dos you've got on your list. But there's a longer term productivity that, you know, is, is different and it's to do with the organization. Um, and I think this is what came out in research that uh, Ben Weber has done um, that, that, that some of you will be aware of. But also in the study that Microsoft did recently, which looked at the impact of remote work on 60,000 workers. I think they did it with researchers from Stanford, which said that, you know, the short term productivity, meaning that day to day stuff improves which is what the conversation became about. I think it's certainly in the early days of the um, the pandemic, but something goes missing mm. in terms of their ability to complete projects. And, it, you know, they may be on time, but they may be, you know, faulty in some way, or they may be delayed or, you know, certain things don't happen. And I think there is a gap in knowledge there about the way things get done in organisations. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to come into the office but you have to be aware that that something is is not as it was.
and it, and it may well be that it's you know for some organizations i mean i'm you know you can't you can't apply broad rules for all this stuff it might be better that kind of thing that long-term productivity but you can't assume that you have to understand that you're you may be t- talking about different things and i think the focus on the short-term productivity is where we've um seen some organizations get trapped into the you know t- you know traditionally what we're now saying is is measuring keystrokes you know but we're also looking at perhaps um less invasive measures such as the amount of time people spend at work you know the, yeah. there's there's a to- there's a toxic element to that as well that's kind of crept back in in, in some places so um yeah I was partly asking the question because I think there's a sense of there's do we confuse productivity with almost presenteeism, but in a virtual sense. There was there's been that whole conversation around productivity is both sort of personal and corporate. And as you were just alluding to, it's that personal to do list. Mm -hmm. And as we all office workers went home and we were able to just carry on with our own personal list, that was great. But at the same time, that corporate productivity, that whole reason why for most senior folk, they think this is the reason why we exist, people interacting and sharing information and knowledge and all those lovely things, that was starting to erode. Um, But then now we're starting to look not only at those elements, but equally, is it around just how much time people are spending, let's assume, at their desk or certainly at the laptop or the screen? Yeah, well, I think there is some evidence to suggest that people are spending more time you know, doing that kind of, you know, sitting down and, and facing a screen to justify being um, at home or, so, or somewhere else. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... How do we put this? I, I mean, there are traps, aren't there, with, with remote working that people need to be aware of and organisations need to make sure that they are not allowing people to fall into those traps as well. Um I mean, I, I do it myself, you know, I, I, I'm, I do a lot of my productive work early in the morning, but that's not for everybody, you know, and, but, you know, any writing that I do tends to be done by nine o'clock, um, you know, and, but that's just me, you know, other people don't work like that, you know, and you're aware of that. And I think organisations need to be aware of that fact. So for somebody like me, if I'm at my desk at six o'clock in the morning, you know, what the organisation needs to be aware of, if I'm still at my desk at six o'clock in the evening, there is there is an issue there that they may need to address. And I think these are all the kinds of things that organizations need to get themselves into. Whereas somebody else, you know, you know, perhaps if particularly if they have parental responsibilities or or caring responsibilities, isn't that a death till 10? You know, so the dynamics of their day are very, very different. Um, So, yeah, but uh, I mean, these are all opportunities as well, aren't they? I mean, I don't want to be relentlessly negative about this stuff. You know, you have to say that these are all opportunities, but organisations need to understand this kind of stuff. Um, So understanding the individual as well as the impact on the uh, on the wider organisation. There's this sense of, oh, sorry, I said that, um, you know, I was thinking that having a conversation with somebody only the the other day about it, that there there was this phrase used around, are organisations really looking at, at, hybrid working and what that means for them or are they really just looking at rotor working um, which is simply you know which days are you going to be in the office and I've now got to rotor that to make sure that these teams are all there but of course I haven't got space for everybody all the time particularly if I'm going to start reducing the space so it's not really hybrid it's just organizing who's going to be in the office at any one time it's it's rotor working. Yeah well there's an, an assumption in, implicit in that 
that they know how the organisation works, don't they? And who needs to interact with whom on which days yeah. and how and and so on. And I mean, it betrays a lack of trust. You know, I, I, I think if I've ever got myself in trouble on social media, it's been talking about this sort of, you know, three and two thing, because I, I don't really understand why we got fixated with it rather than, you know, allowing or empowering people to self-organize and be truly flexible. You know, it's, Do you have any theories uh, as to know, how it's arrived? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I kind of think for over a year, I think there was a degree of hysteria about the conversation, you know, and people latching onto things like this. Because I, I think the the adoption of the term flex, uh, sorry, hybrid working instead of flexible working, which we already had, was part of that. You know, people trying to, um, I, I, I don't know what it was. I mean, I'd, I'd love to tell you that I do know, but I just thought, but you still see it, don't you? And then you you hear the stories that are emerging now of, of people saying, you know, three days in the office doesn't suit me. You know, and it, and it doesn't, you know, for some people, actually five days in the office is better. And for others, it's, you know, one every two weeks or whatever, you know. And I think that is this fixation that we have on this sort of hybrid working model of three and two um, is is odd, I don't I don't know how to, to, to sort of put it better than that. You know, I just, uh, you know, uh, but maybe it's just because firms need to keep control. That's that's what they think. You know, we need to maintain some degree of control. And to come back to the, the point of this, uh, this discussion is is to say, well, you know, we do know how this this company works. I mean, I, I mean, one of the one of the suppositions that I see that, that underpins this is this idea that the office is there for collaboration and the home is there for for private work and when it's obvious that for some people it may be the other way around and um and also this idea that you know this idea of collaboration tied up with creativity you know because we all know that we have our best ideas when we're not looking at a computer on the whole but you so you need to separate out creativity from innovation which is a different a different thing but it's all kind of bundled up together at the moment because innovation is about actually doing something about your idea isn't it you know that's you know any, anybody can have an idea and the best time to do it is walking the dog or you know having a shower or whatever you you you, you might do but um the innovation thing you may need to do around other people or, or you may not you know i, I mean I, th- I think this is the thing that i'm coming back to is we there needs to be a lot less certainty about some of the pronouncements that that, that people are making on both sides the back to the office crowd and to the, the um and the you know remote first crowd all need to think well you know it, it depends you know the answer is always you know which organization are you in and which individuals are you talking about um yeah so with a sense then that we uh we need to try and encourage uh organizations to to truly think about what it is and I come back to that question of do we feel there's – what do we feel we can be doing more of to encourage organisations to truly understand how they work and therefore maybe not um, – uh, I try not to use any pejorative phrases to, – to, to not simply come up with a 3-2 model or whatever that might look like? Mm-hmm. Um well, I, I think it's a change, a change of mindset. You know, I think um, 
it, it comes back to that that point that I've just raised. It's like they they need to be aware that they don't know quite a lot of How stuff. How do you make them more aware, though? Do you think? How can we do that? Um, um, well, I, I think I think the conversation has got more interesting over the last few months. I think there's a, there's less certainty than there was. Um, and I think that's good because people have tried things or organisations have tried things and have learned about them and can then apply those lessons. And I think that might be the way going forward. I mean, we all know, you know, organisations now have various plans and strategies in place, but that, you know, when, when you talk to end users, often there's a wariness about the, the, the plans that they've put in place, um, meaning that they're they're aware that, you know, that, they're going to have to maybe adapt them as they go forward and they learn more about it. And I think that's productive, isn't it? Um, and I, I think it might come, come down to that. And you hope that people aren't going to make terrible mistakes, you know, and that, that applies just as much for the organizations who are demanding everybody comes back into the office as it is for, um, the people who are closing their offices. You know, you've got to, you know, you, you've got to be aware that that may or may not be the right thing to do, either thing. And it's likely that the the truth for any organisation is somewhere between the two two extremes. But uh, where that is, of course, is, is up for them to uh, to work out. So do you think we may just may just have to wait for case studies to evolve um, from organisations that have taken a stance? And then how has that uh, manifested itself and how have people responded yeah yeah and look at what other people are doing learning what they're doing i mean it's all the old stuff isn't it and also there's some i mean there are some great pieces of research about how all this this functions you know is is about how to and i'm not talking about the kind of surveys that you know firms will put out but you know some of the actual studies uh the wide-scale studies but i mean like to come back to the microsoft one is one of my favorites you know but there are there are others around that say you know this is you know, this is a complex thing. You know, it's uh, I mean, look, the, the Microsoft one comes down to the idea of weak ties, which we're about to publish an article about in the magazine. And I've, I've touched on a couple of times before, which is it's not about the people, you know, at work. It's the the people they know that that can make a difference to how things get done. And the, the, there is some something essentially unknowable about that, because, you know, if you've got a team of eight people, you know, the structures and the relationships between them more or less, I guess. Um, but. What you don't know is the 64 people there, they, they all interact with on a regular basis and how that can affect the way the group works. And that I think is, um, is going to be part of this is, is organizations learning that. And that's about what goes missing to come back to that point. When, so do you, when think you, it's when part you disperse people. No, no, I just don't, yeah. And I think there's an interesting element there of, uh, um, and I know there's been studies done on this around, uh, the, the formal, organizational hierarchy structure and then <laughs> if you like for every individual within that organization we have then our own informal network which will yeah. be whatever it is and it might be people that we've met over lunch or you know in the very old days it would have been you know kind of smoking room conversations um but just that sense of uh, that's going back quite a bit even here in the uk but but just that sense that you these sort of tangential relationships that are created um over time and that's really what makes the organization tick uh, it was kind of recognized wasn't it that your personal network was the people you reached out to to get something done so much more quickly more easily than if you try to go through the formal organizational structure so i, I partly wonder whether it, you know do we feel that that's gradually being eroded at the moment 
Well, it, it may well be. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, it might be one of those things we can say probably, but, you know, I, I, you, it may, it may, it, it may be reforming in different ways in, and perhaps in more positive ways for some organizations. I, um, you know, you, you, you've heard people talk about the, you know, the, the meetings between meetings. That's, that's how this is often expressed, isn't it? It's, you know, you can have, you know, these hybrid meetings where some people are perhaps remote. What you don't get is, you know, it used to be smoking, didn't it? But it might be, you know, the chat on the way down or, you know, bumping into somebody, having a coffee with them or whatever. That's what you can't easily replicate with a formal sort of structure of meetings. And as Kate has pointed out, I think in, in one of the pieces today, you know, most meetings are, you know, pretty, pretty pointless and actually maybe counterproductive, you know, in, certainly in larger organisations. You know, there's there's a problem with meetings per se, isn't there? Never mind the meetings between meetings. It's like that old thing, you know, people used to talk about music. You know, it's it's not just about the notes. It's about the spaces between the notes. That's, you know, that's what makes the music, isn't it? You know, and if you're focusing just on the notes, you're missing something very, very important. It's the gaps that matter as well. Well, I've, I've never ceased to be amazed the amount of times, I'm sure we all have had this, when you're, uh, you know, when you're looking at a workplace strategy and you go and ask people around the location of certain things and the comments that people would make over, I hate sitting right outside of the meeting rooms because people always stand outside the room before the meeting chatting away and after the meeting they're outside chatting away. It's all very disturbing. I can't get my work done. Please make sure that, I, you know, there aren't any desks outside the meeting rooms. Of course, what you can now reflect on is thinking, yeah, that's, those are the meetings between the meetings. That was probably when they, the really useful stuff was being talked and decided upon yeah well i i i do see i mean again it's one of those things that i kind of thought was malformed about the whole conversation was like firms trying to replicate that i mean i've always had a problem with the idea of corporate fun for example you know but this idea that you know you everybody works remotely and and you saw a lot of it at one stage i mean i know the, the conversation has been through various phases but you know you say everybody works remotely and then once a month we get together in a hotel you know and have fun while the boss is watching us. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think you've missed the point of something here. So I think if I was the boss of, say, well, let's say I had a team of ten young people, they might want me to come along and buy them a few drinks at the beginning of the night, but then they really, really want me to bugger off, you know. And I think that's what organisations are missing, you know. They do not want the old fart, you know, hanging around while they they enjoy themselves, and they probably want to, you know, and they probably don't want the firm organising too much of it anyway, you know. They want to meet for a drink or or whatever after work and and have some fun amongst themselves, you know. I think that is what firms also need to wrap their head around. You can't just replicate that part of work, and it is a part of work, or you can't replicate it very easily. It's a, it's a tricky part of it, and. We've okay, so we're now at uh, what, about half past the hour, um, and hopefully what we've done is to tease out a few elements there from the original question, uh, which we also knew then, of course, would take us down some slightly different paths. Uh, so probably helpful now to open it up for a slightly broader perspective, comments or more questions back to to Mark. Uh, does anybody have any observations, comments, queries, questions that we can start off with? Um, uh, I, I wonder what your thoughts are, Mark, on the, um, the four day week. Um, and we're seeing all over the media at the moment is, you know, I think is it's, I think in one place I saw 60 companies and I think this morning I saw 200 companies were piloting the four day week. The interesting little stat that came out of it, and it just came to mind when you spoke earlier about productivity was the, um, the, you know, you would get 100% of your salary for 80% of your time, but still looking to achieve 
100% productivity. <laughs> so, and again, curious, I suppose, that work, that word productivity is, is, is actually interesting to know what, you know, what the definition is. And I kind of feel as though we might be losing something in our language because I think we might all have a slightly different um, interpretation of productivity and we're getting it muddled with creativity and muddled with innovation. Mm. Um, and just one, um, you know, you mentioned as well about the short term productivity, about, you know, completing your emails at the end of the day. You know, I mean, we've never done anything great by getting rid of our emails. But at the end of the day, you know, it, I wonder, is that even productive or is it just a waste of time? <laughs> you know? I, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think we're actually again in the, in the new issue of the magazine, which I'm hoping is going to be out today. We're just waiting to sign it off. We look at the four day week and the complexities of it, because I think like universal basic income, it's one of those things that looks like a no brainer. You know, you just think, great, you know, and and I think for some organisations and individuals, it will be exactly like that. But it also has the potential to, again, deform, you know, in, in the way that you say once once you start talking about hours and days and stuff like that, you know, you've got that. You, you immediately go back into a form of scientific management. People are clocking in and out, you know. And what do you say to your employer? You say, no, I don't work on Fridays. So when they say, no, we, but we've got to sort this thing out. What do you say? Uh, uh, you know, and and people, again, might get drawn into doing things, you know, like, um, I mean, I, I've seen um, in particular uh, women who've gone on maternity and then returned to work and be told, you know, that they, they're only working three days, for example, when they come back, but they'll be on full pay. But they end up, you know, doing, well, they, they might be pro rata, but, for example, they, they will work five days. They've just been paid less for it. And I, I wonder whether, you know, that's the kind of trap that we need to be aware of when we're talking about those sorts of things. There was a, there was a report the Labour Party Commission ahead of the, the last general election. It's obviously pre-COVID, you know, so we have to apply all the usual caveats about it uh, by an economist called Gord Skidelsky looking into the um, viability of the four-day week as blanket sort of um, you know policy in the UK and he came back and bear in mind this is old school Marxist you know and said actually it's not relevant for the whole economy and some people will be worse off both financially and culturally you know in terms of their well-being than others so you've got to apply it in a in a sort of structured way so a good idea for some people not for others mm. and uh, yeah and uh, the Labour Party obviously d they quietly buried that in the bottom drawer, you know, because that was not what they wanted to hear. And I, I wonder whether this might be a subject a bit like that, you know, where it's, you know, it it, it looks like a no-brainer, but actually it's a bit more complicated than than mm. people assume. And, and universal basic income is the same. The outcomes of UBI are often not what you would expect. People don't learn the ukulele, you know, and you know, spend more time doing the things they love. They, you know, they. They they can have other issues that that arise as a result. So, what do you think? I mean, I think I think again it's interesting what you said there about the gaps between the notes of the music, you know. And I think we don't we're not really putting much um, importance or waiting on that kind of pause that we should that we should sort of have within our working week. I kind of I like the idea of a four day week. I like the idea of having a three day weekend. More to the point, um, but. 
but I wonder how, you know, how, I mean, for years that has been a very common problem with women coming back, uh, you know, after having children and, you know, expected to do X amount of hours and up doing a hell of a lot more, you know, for less pay. And we could be walking into something, something like that. But, but I think now in our current day, and, and even though that's still going on, I still think, you know, we aren't, we don't put a much emphasis on, on the kind of pause. We're all about productivity. We're all about being, you know, on the screen. We're switched on 100% of the time. And quite frankly, it's exhausting. Um, and yeah. I, so there is something, and I think I'm, I'm a bit nervous about what we're heading into right now because of that and, and not putting the importance on a bit of quiet time or offices saying, when you come in, you collaborate, you know, for, all of the, the time that you're in the office, I, don't, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> I like to meet well, it's, people it's like, and chat with people, but it's just exhausting to collaborate uh, 100% of the time. You know, and then expect to go home the next day and do focus work. I mean, you know, it's very much robotic and machine kind of driven. And obviously, for some people, it is the other way around. You know, you hear not just young people. You know, for some people, actually, the house is too noisy for them to work properly. You know. I mean, I, I know from experience, you know, a two year old does not understand that you're doing something. You know, you have to yeah. sort of deal deal with that at the time. So going into the office might be the way to get some focus time. I mean, I, I think the experience of women is an interesting one because it's not as as has been expected. You know, this idea that flexible working will will improve women's lot. That's not always been the case during during the pandemic. And I know these are very strange times, but, you know, there's. That's another thing that, you know, you make an assumption about that may or may not be um, um, correct in the ways you think it is. You know, that, you know, women have come out, I understand, slightly worse than men on on, on certain metrics overall. And, um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out longer term. I think, you know, when, you know, you I think some organisations are obviously slipping back into pres- presenteeism. And I think, it, it, you know, that doesn't necessarily help. Um, help women if you have that culture and uh you know but again you know you can't make assumptions can you you know it's, it's going to be interesting to see how how that all plays out yeah it's one of the reasons why i was oh sorry kate i don't remember what company it was it's a fairly large company that went to a four-day work week was it um automatic i think uh and uh you know wordpress um and they they found it was success. They found that people liked it. They found that they maintained productivity, but they stopped it and they went back to a five day week. What they found was that, uh, people found more efficient ways to do their work to, so, so that, you know, they could get that 40 hours of work done in, uh, you know, one less day. Um, and, and they, and then they felt it was a success because of that, because that's what they learned. And then they brought that back into the office. Why yeah. they didn't continue it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, do you think it's because the, you know, managers didn't like it? Uh, I don't know. You know, I just, I think we've all said it. The, the one size just doesn't fit all. You know, it's going to be right for some people. And we, you know, if this was before the pandemic, we'd be talking about a palette of flexibility. You know, four day work weeks, staggered start and end times. You know, work from home, work from home, some of you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, and now we're just kind of focused on the where uh, and, and forgetting the rest of that palette. Yeah, 
I think I think that's true. It's a fi- there's a fixation with place, isn't there, at the moment? You yeah. know, rather than other factors, and um, well, and time, time is even is. more important. Yeah. yeah, you know, to, you know, that's been shown for 20 years that people want flexibility in their time even more than they want flexibility in where they work. And I'm finding uh, employers are very resistant to that, even though we've worked that way for the last couple of years, as you said, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and you know it suits different people. I mean, I I remember um, um, wh- when we had my first son, I I became the, the primary carer because I was working as a freelancer. My wife was in a corporate job, and you're kind of like that is a perfect example of we had to make that decision because she had to be in the office at a certain time, whereas I could have the flexibility to to do all the the early morning stuff, the school runs, and whatever. But, you know, you just think that's nuts, isn't it? You know, so so what if she doesn't come in until half nine or ten o'clock? You know, what, why? Why is that a problem? You know, if she's doing her job. What, what What's the issue? But, and, 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 I, I, and this is obviously 25 years ago. You know, we're not there yet, are we? It's very, very strange that, that we haven't moved that conversation on as, we, as much as we should have done. Yeah. So are we still talking then about trust and presenteeism? Obviously, those elements are completely intertwined and. If if we are, what what more can be done about that? Because one would have thought the last two years should have helped in that whole sense of presenteeism and trust. And if uh, and if we're still now having those conversations around what does it look like as we start to plan for the future, and it's still based around I'd like to see you back in the in the office, or at least I want to make sure that you're putting in the hours if you're not here. Still seems that we're still talking about trust and presenteeism yeah so what do we I was trying to get to that sense of, so what 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 can we do about that what more can we do because you'd have thought the last two years surely that should have given everybody all that we need to know about trust and being able to manage people and teams uh, remotely and, and different work styles and all the, all of the elements that we've been talking about over the last 30 years. And yet we still don't seem to be there even after, if I put it that way, the last two years. What, what more needs to be done to encourage senior folk, I suppose, I shouldn't just say organisations, but senior folk of organisations to, to, to just get that across the line? Yeah. Well, I think the whole, I mean, my, my view is to, is to come back to that point about we need to... Um, change the focus away from things like productivity um you know the the it, it became very apparent i think in the early days that the firms were fixating on this this idea and they found out people were generally more productive but you know on the basis of what we, we said before you know they they get more stuff done at home you know but that's not necessarily the right thing for the organization in the longer term or it, it might be you know no. it, it changes things anyway um so the conversation needs to know, you know, we, we're, we're going to get into the known unknown stuff, aren't we, in a minute, but that, that's it. You know, there needs to be a lot more humility from organisations about what they do and don't know about people and, uh, you know, the way things get done in the organisation. Because I think this, the surprise is the interesting thing, actually, that them discovering that people actually were, you know, able to get things done remotely. You know that. I mean that 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 came as a surprise to me that they were surprised. If you, you we've known this kind of stuff, and to come back to that other thing, you know, half empty offices, why people hate the commute, all this stuff. What it shouldn't be surprising. 
We knew hey, it before what the pandemic. We... We, didn't, we didn't just suddenly discover all this stuff in March of 2020. You know, it's 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 kind of strange that that, that, that came as a surprise to people. So it, what it, more do we need to do? Um, right. Sorry, Shimon. Sorry, Shimon. I was just going to ask, actually, it's funny you mentioned earlier about that, you know, nobody likes commuting. It, I'm, you know, that's one of the big things I hear from people is that they really miss the commute. <laughs> you know, I mean, as much as it's, you know, it depends what your commute is like, but I think it's that you know, that thinking time or the chance to read your book. You know, I was on a flight the other day and I was like, oh my God, right, I'll read my book. You know, this is, you know, and I, I don't tend to read any if I'm traveling, because otherwise if I'm in bed at night, I fall asleep. So I, was like, oh, I haven't done this in a long time. You know, so there there is those kind of things that, um, you know, that I think we, we have kind of missed. Or also it kind of brings back to kind of individual um, responsibility as well. You know, which we, you know, I think we put a lot of reliance on the employer or, we, you know, a lot of sort of what the senior management or managers are not doing right. I think there's a lot of things we've learned as individuals um, and as employees over the past two years to, to kind of get things right as well to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's that thing of structures, isn't it? You know, that's perhaps what people miss. And and also, you know, and I said this, I'm. I don't actually live in the southeast of, of England, and um, so my my commute to work is generally a twenty minute walk through a park to the office, you know, that and and home again. But when the when people talk about commuting, there's this assumption that it's into a central business district and stuff like that, and um, and 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 that 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 I get, you know, because whenever I go into London, you know, it's always, you know, something, you know, I don't particularly enjoy being on the tube and whatever, and um, but you know. But, but you're right, you know, you, you can't make those assumptions about people, can you? You know, but maybe they need to replicate their, their trip into work in another way. Um, I, I went off video because I was... Structure. No, I was going to say, Kate, you've got your hand up. Oh, uh, I went off video because I'm having bandwidth problems and thought that might help. Um, but what if we reframed or maybe we have to rename the word productivity and and and, and work toward getting everything that makes people unproductive out of the way. You know, whatever we can do to allow people to do their best work. I mean, if we could just accept <laughs> that if we were able to do that, they would be more productive and, and put the focus on that. Just get all of that, you know, I call it sludge, like email out of the way. I think it's a brilliant idea, Kate. Switch off email for everybody and you double productivity in about 10 seconds, I would say. <laughs> and guilt. I mean, you know, that inbox thing, it just, it, it, it hangs, you know, it, it hangs me up. The Or the number of tabs I have open in my uh, in my browser, you know. I've got this thing called one tab and I hit a button and they all close. And the sense of relief I get from that, it's just <laughs> enormous. <laughs> And I, 
And I guess in a way, that's what makes it very difficult, isn't it? Because what makes me productive is not going to be the same of what makes Mark productive or Kate mm. productive. Um, however, when we're in within an organisation, we have to kind of have a set of rules, you know, if we're going to be working kind of some way collectively and towards business objectives and, and goals. So, you know, maybe us humans are the problem, you know, just wipe us all out <laughs> and send in the robots and, you know, we might have a, a better better outputs and outcomes. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, I'm seeing some organisations really getting it right, actually. Um, and, I'm, and I, you know, I do think it's quite an exciting time at the moment. And it's, you know, I'm, uh, you know there's, there's uh, particularly I'm hearing like the workplace is be, becoming kind of more consumerised. Um, and I like the idea of this, that it's that kind of people, staff coming in are more treated like guests, you know, so that, um, you know, gone are the days where you have to kind of raise a ticket to sort out your IT and then you have no idea when that's going to get sorted. And, you know, you're literally just a number. It, it seems to be reverting back a little bit to you actually can get to speak to a person or you go to the IT bar and the IT bars are now being set up in rest in the restaurant in, in the building rather than going down to the, the basement or the boiler room to find the IT guy. <laughs> so so there's some some really good things I think that are are kind of turning around and and it's it's given us the opportunity maybe to to get things get things right, you know. Um and, and it's the IT teams maybe that are creating the data in the background because we still need to kind of have something that resembles you know, setting the ticket up because we need to be able to, you know, log all these things and, and whatever we're going to do with the data, I don't know, but something gets done with this when it comes out the other end. Um, but that's still kind of required, but it's the end user shouldn't have to go through the pain of all of that. Interesting. Thanks, Siobhan. I was just looking um, at Max, Rita, Adam, not wanted to pick on people, but uh, any comments or, or thoughts from, from you folks? Um, so apologies for my tardiness, um, but as I came in, I think, Mark, the point you were making resonated with me as I'm working with an organisation who's done loads of work over the last two years around surveying their staff. They've got workplace analytics in place. They understand more about their staff now than they ever have done in the last sort of like decades. But of course, they've got no reference point. So what they don't know is the data now they've got for the last two years, they're going, well, this is great and it's interesting, but is this is this better than was before, worse than was before? Because we didn't measure how much time people spend in meetings before. We think we spent a lot of time in meetings, but we don't now know. So there's sort of, there's, it's not quite an existential crisis, but there's this thing of almost trying to go now, what, what are we comparing to? And if we have to go back or want to go back, what are we going back to? Because, Actually, we realised that this coming into the office stuff, we never measured. We just, you know, everyone assumed that coming into the office was yeah. the thing everyone did. So there was no measurement around, was that productive, good, bad? But now they've got all this data about hybrid or working from home and think it's good or bad, but there's real no, no real comparison. Yeah. But, that, that, but an earlier part of the conversation about how firms are going to learn as they get into this, you know, because as it changes into, say, less remote or, well, you know, maybe more remote, I don't know, but that's when they find out what they're doing. But I also think the, I mean, the act of measuring brings its own issues, doesn't it? You know, because once, when you tell somebody they're being observed or measured, you know, it's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, isn't it? You, mm-hmm. you then influence the outcome, don't you? You, you're not, they're not doing what they would have done if you weren't watching them. And, yeah. um, you know, 
So they've got to take account for that kind of stuff as well, haven't they? Because they, when they then go back to stop measuring them, you know, let's see how many ideas they have, you know, and then, you know, when you stop seeing how many ideas they have, you know, what do they do? You know, you're going to have, uh, you know, there's going to be an outcome there, isn't there? Definitely. But also, how can we use the data of the last two years uh, to inform the future? Because it's been such a like a artificial reality that, like, yes, we can use the data in these last two years, but I don't think uh, is uh, is something that uh, is plain blunt. Like, okay, we we use this data. This is how the way we felt we were productive or or not. And then, like, we applied this for like a long term strategy. I think that it can be really used because people were living like people were having like children at home for example and now they went back they are back to school so that problem doesn't exist because they don't have um the same level of like a child care uh, at home or um all sort of like caring duties and um yeah and also I'm thinking that people are focusing more and more in like the now and how they feel comfortable right now that they are not really thinking about the implication of that in the future like um like I'm thinking about like a conversation I had yesterday with a client and this uh, this uh, like a manager in an organization said that she moved away from the office and she's really happy that the fact that now she lives in this beautiful place, blah, blah, blah. Um, so she won't be able to go back to the office as often as before. By the same time, she feels isolated because she's working from home. And I'm thinking, but what do you want? Like, you cannot have it all. And did you think about the consequence of you moving with the fact that probably the last part, the first part of the pandemic, you were already feeling isolated? So, like... Are we making decisions like a bit too quick about what we want to do in like 10 years time or we want to live in like from now to 10 years from now? Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've had a little bit recently from actually, I have to say, about a lot of people who'd moved to nice places in England, Devon and and the Cotswolds and whatever, from their homes in Hampstead and have now, and they're regretting it, not for the reasons you say, they're kind of isolated from work, but also because Devon in a June, sunny June day is great. Devon in a wet English February, not not so much, you know, and you, you know, you, you, you may have a, you live in a lovely village, but it's only got one chip shop, you know, and a, a shop that shuts at five o'clock, you know, so it's not the same as living in Hampstead. And they're kind of thinking, well, you know, it's not really what 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 we're used to, you know. And um, yeah, so there are people who I think took that decision based on hype, perhaps, or you know, just an impulse, whatever it might have been, but are now thinking actually maybe it's not quite as I expected. And maybe some people say this is the best thing I ever did, you know. But you just you, hear, you start to hear these stories now of like, people saying, well, you know, it's not it's not really going as planned. So perhaps it's partly the the human condition then as individuals we want to know what's work going to be like so I can take the decision of whether I move or not or stay or go or 
work differently. And I'd like to know that now so I can continue planning with my life. Uh, at the same time, senior folk in business are going, I need to know what to do with my business and, and, and with people and how, how much I should I be asking them to come in and how many days. And I just want to get on with my organizational life. So maybe it's just the human condition of just wanting to know. Or if I don't know, I'll just state something and I'm going to go with that because at least then I've made a decision and life can move forward again uh, rather than standing still and waiting. And the best I can do is say, I'll know in a couple of years time. Yeah. You know, you ever seen the picture of the, the vulture sitting on the pole um, saying, patience, my a double scribble. Um, I just want to kill something. <laughs> you know, it's you know, I think that's that's sort of the leader's mentality. You know, it's like I'm, I'm here to lead. I've got to make decisions. I've got to do stuff. And to Roberta's point, I mean, we just we just have to be patient and slow down and see how it's going to work. I mean, you know, the people that say they want to come back to the office, I, I think about that couple that you haven't seen in, in, you know, several years or even before the pandemic. And you say to your spouse, oh, you know, we should get together with Joe and, and Jolene or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then you do. And then driving back in the car, you say, oh, now I remember why we didn't get together with them. <laughs> you know, it's like we had this, this fantasy about how everything was. We remember all the good and not the bad and vice versa for the people that think they want to stay home all the time. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, well, yeah, it's that thing of you, you know, you need to be doing something, don't you? If you're being paid five hundred thousand pounds a year to run a company, you know, you sit there and say everything's fine as it is. You know, we just have to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, you go and buy something, don't you? Or you know, restructure or whatever, you know, whatever the hell it might be, because that's you know, there's that impulse as you say. I um, I, I read something the other day about. One of the problems with social media is everybody feels compelled to have an opinion on everything, you know. <laughs> you know, nobody either just shuts up or just says, you know, well, I don't know or whatever, you know. And I think, I mean, this might come back to the discussion point, you know, it's like there needs to be a lot more, I don't know, a lot more humility about about what we're doing. And I think that's that's what I'd like to see, you know. And it's an academic impulse. You know, you always see academics, you know, they always caveat things, don't they? You know, more research needed. But I think actually there's, there's some truth in that at the moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a bit more. It's time now to be brave, really, isn't it? And to to experiment a bit. And I think some of the organisations that I think seem to be getting it right are the ones that they don't know whether they are or not. And they openly admit to that and they but they're they're giving things a shot and if something some things will work it's great we stick with that and some things that don't work well we'll we'll, we'll change our plans around and, and try something else and i think they're the ones that will be the ones that will succeed and the ones that will attract all the talent and retain the talent you know everything that we're we're hearing about so we've just got to be yeah. brave <clears throat> brave in saying we don't know um I'm aware of our time. We're two minutes to the hour. Um, once again, the uh, the time flies past with the uh, the conversations. Uh, firstly, Mark, a huge thank you for your time uh, this afternoon. Uh, it's been a really good thank you. Uh, discussion. So thanks ever so much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, as you can see, it sparked lots of, uh, of debate there. Uh, as I say, our next event coming up in May uh, is going to be partly a review of what's been going on at the Workplace event uh, over this week. Um, or for those of you, uh, I think actually more for Kate now specifically, this is an event that's going off at the uh, Birmingham National Exhibition Centre. Um, so that's uh, that's the uh, partly where people have been. A few of our regulars are at, uh, are at that event <coughs> Excuse me, this week. So we look forward to seeing you on the uh, 11th of May. In the meantime, 
again, thanks ever so much for coming along. Mark, thank you once again. We look forward to seeing you uh, very soon. But otherwise, have a very nice day, evening, morning, etc. Thanks, folks. Goodbye. Okay, lovely. Thank thanks. you, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Good Bye. to see you. Bye. Thanks, everybody.